Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show with me, Michael Tinkster. We are on a mission to share what Maverick leaders know and do to build businesses that deliver strong results and positive impact on people, society, and the planet. Thank you to our brand partner, BizSimply, for sponsoring this episode. BizSimply is the all-in-one workforce management software that enables your business to become more efficient and profitable. The software designed and built by hospitality experts to enhance the way shift-oriented operators manage their business, optimize their entire people journey, and making every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, how we grow, and how we serve our customers. Together, we wanted to share strategies and tools to make the industry thrive long-term. We find ourselves point where we're formalizing the entire sustainability agenda for the group. And there's a lot of internal conversations happening. At which pace do we move? You know, how far we set our ambitions, et cetera, et cetera. And I think having, you know, already done that first step allows for the next step potentially to be taken a little bit easier. It's been over 2,400 companies now make these HVA commitments, and it does make good business sense. The small price it takes to make these uh, changes have big results, and the benefits are absolutely countless. And it's something that stakeholders, NGOs, consumers, and customers will absolutely support. Today's conversation will be joined by Julia Bolantina, Global Head of ESG at Gate Group, a global leader in airline catering and Hannah Sorvinsky, Global Corporate Relations Manager at the Humane League, an international non-for-profit that is ending the abuse of animals raised for food. The vision for today's conversation is to get an insight into what can be achieved when business is a force for good and how you can make significant change in your food supply chain. We discuss the challenges that are throughout the food supply chain globally and how you still can put sustainability first and have a great business. Julia and Hannah shares the great work Gate Group as others are doing to rise to the challenge. We also get an insight into what it is that we need to do as food service operators to be part of the solution to protect and improve life on our planet. This conversation will inspire you to think about your supply chain and how you can make a difference, no matter the size of your operation. Every little matters. If you liked today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you could leave a review of the show on our website, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guests, and ultimately, the better the learning for you. Enjoy. Welcome to today's conversation, and we're going to be talking about the promise we have, business as a force for good. Businesses that not just deliver great results, but also make a positive impact on people, society, and the planet. And today's conversation is also going to be different, because it's not actually not that often we actually have two guests involved. So, uh, and I'm really looking forward to that, and the challenge, and, and managing that, of course. Uh, but we're going to be talking about how you actually buy thinking, you know, doing good into your business model, actually the impact it can have. And we have two great guests. Uh, 
Here today we have uh, Hannah from the Humane League and then we also have Julia from Gate Group representing the sustainability, head of sustainability there. So it's going to be a great conversation. I promise you already from the pre-work we've done, there's much to dive into. So we will, of course, make sure we have take the best part of today. So enough about what we're going to be talking about today. Let's dive in and meet the guest of today. Hannah, welcome to the show. Really excited about having you here. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Julia, great to have you here as well. Thanks so much. Very good to be here too today. Hannah, I don't know if you want to start out because what you do in your organization, I think it'd be great for people that haven't heard about you guys before, just to tell a bit about who you, you know, what you do and the purpose you have and what kind of work you're already doing out there. Yep, so I'm from the Humane League and we are an international not-for-profit and our mission is simple. We exist to end the abuse of animals raised for food. And um, as part of that, in 2016, the Humane League founded a coalition called the Open Wing Alliance. And that is now a global coalition of 98 NGOs across 70 countries in every continent. So these incredible groups are trailblazing farm animal welfare in nearly every major market in the world. And we're all united in our goal to eradicate cages and any abuse of chickens worldwide. Julia, uh, also tell us a bit about Gate Group and your role within Gate Group because... Uh... Gate Group, sometimes when you mention that name, people don't know what it is, but you have you have a huge food service operation across the globe. Correct. Um, so Gate Group is a holding company, so to say, for a number of uh, brands, um, whereby uh, so the core uh, part of the business is uh, focused on in-flight catering. So you would have seen... Um, our trucks outside of uh, the airplane uh, with names such as uh, Gate Gourmet, for example, or Surveyor. Um, uh, we have um, also food catering for airport lounges. Um, there are a few uh, train companies for which we cater as well uh, in different parts of the world. Um, and one of our um, very um, interesting brands that I find I, and, and in regards to sustainability, probably the pioneer within the organization um, is called Distur, uh, based out of uh, Belgium, and they produce packaging for everything um, that uh, you would find, you know, as a passenger, for example, on a train or um, on the plane, whatever, um, you know, it, it comes in. Um, and beyond that, um, so we... Uh, are not the only customer uh, for, for Disturb. They also provide um, packaging for various other um, uh, companies. Um, so my role is uh, coordinating the topic of ESG or sustainability on the global level. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really uh, super interesting um, because it touches uh, such an important part of what we need as humans, food. and. Uh, the supply chain issues uh, related to that are incredibly uh, complex. Um, we don't, from what I understand, and I'm pretty new to the organization, I only joined in January, but I think we don't have a formulated mission, but the purpose uh, that the company has is, uh, it sounds very nice, nourishing the journey. And that applies, and we look at it, try to look at it both um, for when it comes to um, what it means for our customers, but then also internally um, when it comes to our employees. 
Julia, what made you start the work with uh, with Hannah and the Humane League? What was it that started that out, and what is the what is the aim, and what have you already you know achieved on that journey working together? So we were approached um, by the Humane League and uh, Liver Foundation on the topic, and um, that was um, in 2022, so last year. Um, and there were, of course, I was not there yet, but uh, from what I've uh, learned in the process, um, obviously there was quite a lot of internal discussion uh, because I think everybody's pretty much aligned that steps like this um, needs to be done. But then the reality of where we as humans find ourselves um, and the complexity of what we've created in terms of logistics and supply chain um, kicks in and then um, making any kind of commitments like that, however much the individuals within the organization might be um, rallying behind it, um, then making a commitment actually really quite some uh, digging into what it would mean. Um, and so since uh, since we said we will do that and uh, have all of our um, egg products um, coming from cage-free chickens by the end of 2025, then we've started analyzing or the global procurement team with the, with the, within the region started analyzing country by country, where do we stand right now and what needs to be done or how far, we, how far away are we from this 100% uh, cage-free egg commitment? Um, and it's actually been a very humbling exercise because the last thing I heard then from the, from the team was that um, we're not where we thought we would be. And, and it's not because we don't want to again, but simply finding supply is a challenge. And in certain countries, it's just simply not the reality. And then you have to really work then um, with your existing suppliers to figure out how to, how to change the setups. Is there any specific reason that the focus was on egg in your supply chain? Because there's probably thousands of ingredients you're sourcing from, from different places. But why, why eggs? Of course, it comes from an animal, but why eggs? Could it, why not dairy or any, any other things? It's the eter internal, eternal question, uh, chicken or the egg, right? <laughs> um, it's a very good question. And to be fair, this is what we're looking at right now, because we've also, beyond the topic of eggs, um, we've started looking at other animal products, uh, and uh, under animal here, I'm including also seafood, um, looking at um, where else could we make the steps uh, in addition to this, because obviously eggs is just one small part of the whole story. Um, but I think it was just simply... I'm not going to make anything up. It was simply the first step. And right now we're um, looking at putting in place a more an animal welfare strategy and, and um, trying to devise, you know, the steps of what other, um, what other animal product categories we need to um, look at. How do we improve there um, in, realistically within meaningful timeframes? Great, great. Yeah, because yeah, you have to start somewhere and I think like, and then you choose and focus. It gives totally sense in my view. 
uh, Hannah, any any add-ons to to the uh, cooperation? Maybe there's also some some learning because like we all know that works in food. When we start to look at our supply chain, that's where we can make the biggest impact in principle. But also, it's very complex, as as Julia says. It's not like that simple, especially when you operate on a global level where there's so complex supply chains created over the over the last couple of decades. And I'll start off with, because uh, I imagine quite a few people will be listening to this wondering, why eggs, why chickens? Um, but quite simply, uh, statistically, laying hens suffer in the greatest numbers of all animals farmed for food. And globally, the population of laying hens is around 7.5 billion. And compared to this, there are about 1 billion farmed cattle and around 1 billion sheep and about 7 million pigs. And so the only animal farmed in greater numbers than chicken are fish. Uh, but this cannot be accurately quantified because fish are counted by weight, not individuals. So that's another welfare <laughs> issue in itself. Uh, but, and this is something that the Humane League is addressing. But as we're talking about laying hens today, quite often it is the case that a um, company's animal welfare journey does begin with a cage-free commitment, very much like Gate Group. Uh, it is often quite easily the simplest and most effective way of expanding your impact on animal welfare uh, by just making these uh, small changes and again with gate group making this commitment they've actually done um, a really great job already when they um, released the commitment they were already 75% cage-free globally um, and that level of transparency is something that we really really applaud and Azulia was saying um, of course, there are going to be huge challenges with uh, the country level transitions and the logistics in uh, finding these um, cage free eggs. But there are many resources. We've, we as the OWA have, like I said, 98 uh, groups all around the world who are there to provide market level expertise for any company wanting to make that transition. It's very interesting because you are then addressing, as you're saying, Hannah, it's like, it's where do you put 20% input to get 80% output. So the impact, you know, when you focus on these 20%, it has huge impact on the general supply chain. What happens when, just to, to when it seems like you have good insight, what happens when you start to improve yourself within handling animals, you know, what happens in the supply chain? What other good things happens besides, you know, you get, more better eggs, I think you get better quality, I guess. But what else is happening in a, for positive impact? Yeah, definitely. Um, so with this, with the cage free commitments, um, as I said, that is quite often the start of a company's animal welfare journey, and that does have a knock on effect and leads to other aspects of animal welfare being highlighted, very much like the uh, European Chicken Commitment, which focuses on uh, broiler welfare and uh, making changes to improve the lives of chickens that are raised for meat. So it does have a knock-on effect in many positive ways. But when we talk about cage-free, uh, just the simple act of removing these chickens from um, these cages, these abhorrent cages, it really does make a huge, huge impact to the animal. Just coming from you know the receiving end of it, of the company implementing, we find ourselves point where we're formalizing the entire sustainability agenda for the group and um, there's a lot of internal conversations happening at which pace do we move you know how far we set our ambitions etc cetera, etc cetera. and I think um, 
having, you know, already done that first step, it just kind of, you know, like allows for the next step potentially to be um, taken a little bit easier. Um, on one hand, you might find, and I'm making that up right now because we haven't gone beyond discussing further animal welfare topics um, other than with the broader procurement team. But when we start bringing it to um, to our management, on one hand, they might say, okay, but haven't we you know, already committed to something? I, I don't know. Um, same time, I see that them that that ground already being laid to, um, to and them being hopefully possibly more open to more readily or easier um, make the calls than on the other uh, categories as well. But you your huge uh, food op service operators I already mentioned at the beginning, and you also laid the the, the, the network. Here. Why why is it so important for you guys to be involved in you know? this initiative, but also doing other things in your supply chain, what, what, where does it give business sense, all this? There is um, a lot of business sense because, um, and, and it needs to be looked at on, um, on a couple of different levels. On one hand, um, if we understand issues, um, and I talk about ESG just because, I mean, this, this term got coined in the last um, years, I think it's rather comes from the investor community. In the end, when I say that, it means the same as sustainability within a company um, or operations. Um, so you have the supplier level. So what kind of business partners you work with and understanding um, risks on the social environmental governance levels that they have in their own operations, the same way as our customers would look at us as their suppliers and um, we get a lot of inquiries from them about what we're doing on this and this and this and other topic. Um, so we're working on understanding the risks on that level, as well as um, trying to identify which suppliers um, are better off, like that are best in class when it, when it comes to management of the, the whole array of the topics that we find um, in the sustainability umbrella. Um, but then the other level is the product level. And here, you know, type of ingredients we, we procure for um, for the menus that we design. Um, on one hand, it's this part of understanding risks and opportunities, uh, because in the end, the, if we do not, that uh, can have a detrimental um, effect in case issues pop up. And that would be if, uh, if a supplier is not reliable, um, financial losses, reputational losses, um, it can come to, you know, customer dissatisfaction, any kind of potential, you know, societal um, level of dissatisfaction, regulatory issues. Um, we definitely want to avoid that. Um, and we want to work with the partners that actually contribute to what we want to do. And we have our own um, code of conduct. We have um, a supplier code of conduct. And we would like to have our suppliers comply with the uh, standards that we set for ourselves. Um, and the quality on the product level of, of what we procure, I mean, that feeds directly into the quality of what we put on the menus of the passengers. And it's, you know, you can't put something not very good in and expect a, a, a positive result. And then here it feeds both into, you know, the environmental expectations um, that have um, 
now become more mature within society of what they um, what they receive, uh, but then also, you know, the the quality from nutritional perspective. And I'm not going into the whole, you know, organic, non-organic. I mean, it's it's there. There's so many levels to that, um, but it, it makes sense in terms of the quality. Then yes, of what uh, what we provide, and then respectively also then. Um, the reputation of us as as a as a provider that uh, that brings us to the table. Yeah, and I guess also there's much more scrutiny nice from people to travel as well. They want to make sure when they consume food on the go that it also ticks the box of doing the right thing both for their body but also for the planet. And it's really interesting you say around quality. I totally agree that you know taste drives change. You know if it doesn't taste good. It's definitely not going to change anything because humans we are driven through taste when we we eat food. Uh, Hannah, when you see you see many different companies, uh, do you also see these companies approaching this because you know there is a pressure from from stakeholders, but also it actually gives good business sense to do the right thing. More companies than ever. I think there's been over two thousand four hundred companies now make these uh, KHRA commitments, and I think over one hundred and forty of them have been on a global scale, very much. Uh, as Gate Group operates. And again, considering the sheer scale in which Gate Group operates, the removal of cages from their supply chain will alleviate the suffering of millions of chickens. And it does make good business sense. The small price it takes to make these uh, changes have big results and the benefits are absolutely countless. And it's something that stakeholders, NGOs, consumers and customers will absolutely support. What are the main learnings you have as you do this? Because it's also so I can understand already is that that you already move very far, but there is some complexity when you start going into the supply chain. But are there any like top learnings you've had starting this journey, and uh, also what you believe is going to be the future journey you can share with the audience? Uh, well, as somebody who maybe. Um... Like from the perspective of somebody who came into the organization very new and I was uh, before in the same function at, at different other industries. Um, but there were a lot of kind of, wow, really, this is what happens moments um, of somebody coming into the catering business on uh, that works on the, on this big scale. Um, and that also relates to topics, for example, as waste treatment that I think as a normal passenger is not aware of the regulatory restrictions and actually what drives um, a huge volume of waste um, that uh, gets produced and that everybody in the industry would like to actually have lifted. Uh, but currently um, it gets blocked by um, one or another uh, regulatory um, setup. Um, but here specifically on the on the eggs, um, if you look at the uh, communication uh, that we made uh, last year, uh, it's it's pretty uh, transparent there. I, I, I'm not saying anything that's uh, that's confidential. We're talking about buying uh, eggs from, that come from cage-free chickens for products that contain at least 80% egg. So I also, when I came in, I thought we buy physical eggs. But that's not always the case, or is, I think, a lot of times not the case. Um, and there are certain, um, you know, so it comes in a, in a liquid form, actually. Um, and then um, there are certain things that we might buy where egg, 
you know, yolk is already uh, in a certain form per, uh, integrated uh, or another or, or egg whites. And um, there might be other ingredients mixed into it. And we're talking about then the identifying, you know, how much percentage in each product is actually egg. That's one part of it. But then also, you know, um, the entire complexity of how many levels are we removed from the actual farm? And how do we get to the information to understand how um, these chickens are raised? But the that the products come from. Um, but as Hannah said, I mean, we're not the only ones here. Um, there are solutions out there that other companies have been working on, and it's a matter of um, seeing, okay, how do we, um, how do we leverage best practice um, um, examples, and how do we work with our supply chain to do that? And I mean, there are so many layers um, to, uh, to the supply chain here um, that it just simply becomes more than just a one-week exercise. And um, the challenge is what I've also mentioned before, is that in certain places we would have thought, okay, it would be much easier. Um, but then when you start doing the detailed analysis, um, we find ourselves um, being humbled. Yeah, and I guess also because, as you say, the they egg will integrate differently into whatever the outcome you want to that egg. And I thought that was really interesting that, you know, the way you, the format you get it in and how you use it also have an impact on how easily this can be solved. Hannah, any other learnings you had across other businesses, maybe food businesses as well? You know, what do people learn when they embark on this journey because one thing is setting the goal and the commitment and the other thing now you need to go and do the work and as a gate group suddenly finds out that the complexity of this is, is a bit humbling yeah sure um i'm not going to pretend it is you know an overnight uh transition that can easily be made um, as Yulia was saying uh quite often uh these egg products do come in different formats shell liquid and ingredients so there is that due diligence that does need to be made uh, be made when the transition is being made and that is why we uh, work with companies to produce realistic timelines that are, are feasible and can be quite comfortably met but with a slight bit of ambition as well so that's why uh, gate group um, have a timeline of 2025 to eliminate caged eggs from their supply chain and also we will work with companies um, on an individual basis as well you know it's not going to be uniform blankets timeline for any companies but it will be something that is achievable and reflective of their uh, supply chain and their business model coming back to you uh, Yulia what is the next big step in the in the food supply chain you know you you egg do we have like an agenda afterwards then when we got learning from the eggs then we're going to go and address the next area or are you are you not there yet um here it's really, um, I think what I mentioned before, what, what we're doing is um, we're looking at uh, the standards that exist out there um, for the different um, animal groups and um, looking at which categories do we buy the most. And I mean, that's not a very difficult exercise. I think we can pretty easily say, you know, which animal products uh, we buy the most. Um, but devising a strategy and uh, a realistic plan during this year um, is our goal um, to be able to come out with something publicly 
because we don't want to just say something and then not be able to do it. We really want to make sure that whatever we come out with, we're able to follow up on. And I think there is obviously always um, like a way to do it. As, as if there's a will, there is a way. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, but um, we just want to make sure that whatever we put on, you know, we put out there that we that the organization stands firmly behind that and then we roll with it. So I'm not able to just tell you, you know, we're going to focus on beef as the next. Um, we'll we'll do the internal um, homework and proper uh, device, proper strategy and then and go with that. And sorry to use the maybe <laughs> too much of a jargon with leveraging and strategies and whatnot, but the. Because we have been approached, as I've mentioned, um, by a couple of other organizations on, um, on um, other topics, and we don't want to just jump here and there. We really want to do it step by step the way it makes sense for us, also because the resources are obviously always limited and it would be the same people working um, on this topic. And when we're talking about, we're working on in total with dozens of thousands of suppliers, not specifically on the topic of um, chicken here or um, or other animal products, but um, overall, it's 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 a very um, dispersed supply chain. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our brand partner, Bissimply, and one of their customers, Goldex Investment Group. They operate Costa Coffee and Caspar's franchises, as well as workspaces. Now it's over to Bod Hemarshandra, their head of operations. The biggest win with Bisimply was freeing up the store manager uh, from the workload they have for the week. Scheduling and payroll plays a, a big part in the business. Obviously, it, it was taking over four hours a week for them before using Excel templates. They have to create the schedule beginning of the week and they'd have to finalize at the end of the week uh, for payroll purposes, which was taking around four hours, like I said. Now, I think with Bisimply, we managed to reduce it down to 30 minutes or less. All they have to do is just finalize the, the payroll at the end of the week by pressing a button. It's that simple. So it saves us around three and a half hours a week per store. And that's the biggest win we've had uh, with Simply. And it gives you a sense again, as we came from the beginning, where you talked about focusing on the 20 to get 80%. You both talk about that, but also really try to understand where you solve the right problem instead of just jumping on something and then find out you spend maybe years on that and actually didn't give the amount of impact because i think that's actually not what i when i talk with other people and hannah maybe you can add something here about sustainability and esg because it's much more complex it's not just about food it's about how we treat people it's about how we give back to society there's so many com complexities in this and actually figuring out where you make most impact is critical as well. Doesn't mean you stand still, but actually spend some time on the and the thinking and the learning and actually before you just jump on something. And that's why we encourage companies to report um, on an annual basis. And that really adds to a robust CSR or ECG profile. Um, quite a lot of companies now, they're uh, reporting their K3 percentages on a regional basis. And that's in all regions in which they operate. So that would be Africa, Latin America, um, and APAC regions as well, not just with a focus on North America and Europe, which does tend to be the case. And this shows global equity within a company as well. And like I said, really does strengthen their CSR profile in that respect. There are also companies that are producing glide paths now. There's uh, Royal, Royal Caribbean, Carnival, 
um, and a few others as well who have produced a public facing glide path that shows incremental change of how they're going to get to 100% by 2025. Um, and the good news is as well, uh, when it comes to this reporting, uh, companies just aren't making these commitments and reporting actually uh, fulfilling them as well. Uh, in 2022, the Open Wing Alliance um, released a report that showed that as of April 2022, uh, 88% of cage free commitments with deadlines of 2021 or earlier have actually been fulfilled. Um, and in fact, some companies uh, like Mandarin Oriental uh, have, and also only publicly reporting on their cage free progress, are actually accelerating their commitments as well. So their deadline was originally 2025, but they saw the process to be a lot more smoother than expected. So they uh, actually pulled their deadline for by 2000, uh, sorry, to 2023, which is uh, a two-year acceleration, which again is really fantastic to see. Uh, so there, there is definitely, despite the challenges of everything, you know, cost of living, even flu crisis, uh, there is still progress being made, which is absolutely fantastic to see. Yeah, that actually leads me back to 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 you, you there, because uh, you know, as a food service operator, been one myself, and understanding what it takes, also worked in a global context, McDonald's at that time, what it takes to make a supply chain work, trying to do good at the same time making a supply chain work, as Hannah already says, with the challenges going out right now. How do you find that, and how do you deal with that complexity? Because I th I think I'd never seen so much disruption within the supply chain as we see now i mean when it comes to and we're not just a you know a food service provider um we're like the bulk of our business is in um, in-flight catering and um uh, we're very heavily impacted by um you know the the shutdown basically in a lot of uh, locations of the air flight um business and um and therefore we're very much in the recovery path at the moment. Um, and uh, while supply chains were disrupted around the world for basically every business, um, here we're talking about our own company having to rebuild itself now, so to say. Um, and so we're talking about um, you know, rebuilding in-house resources for managing topics across the board. Um, it's, it's going, I hope, well, <laughs> um, but um, so the focus realistically, I mean, it just simply shifted from um, what we in the sustainability field would very much like to see as, you know, essential and um, connected to um, the overall success of the business. But then when um, a crisis like this hits, um, everything goes down to the you know, the fundamentals and the company making sure that it primarily looks at the financials. So right now, um, this was uh, a very fortunate time for me to come in because um, I'm starting to set up or be part of the setting up of the entire ESG agenda and the uh, adding strategic element to, um, to integration of the entire topic, including uh, the topics on animal welfare into the overall agenda of the company. Um, so supply chain is just one of the things um, that 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 uh, that we're looking at. It's complexities is one part of it, but then everything else within at least our business, and I'm pretty sure that applies to um, 
in-flight caterers across the board that um, were facing kind of the same issues um, on, on, on all of the aspects that we're working on. Hannah, a bit the same question to you as well, because it's interesting, you see a lot of different companies, you just mentioned a hotel company before as well. I, uh, what are you guys seeing as you work with these people on improving the commitment or reaching their commitment, or rather say, what kind of challenges do you see that, that comes up now that we have all this disruption, especially in food? I think it's huge in food, and I, ju- I just hear scare stories like people that can't get products and so on. And I am in the UK, so Brexit doesn't help. That's a definitely also an element here. Yeah, there definitely has been disruptions, but uh, companies have very much like with the wheat issues and uh, any other uh, commodity-based uh, issues that they face, they have um, found ways to overcome them. And thankfully, there's also many other aspects of animal welfare uh, progress that's happening, which is really driving uh, change as well. There's legislative change um, happening in the US and across Europe. Uh, uh, cages are now actually poised to be banned in 2027, thanks to legislative process there, progress there. And that's been backed by some of the biggest groups in the world, uh, Nestle, Unilever, Aldi, amongst others. So again, with these company commitments like Gate Group, they're really supporting uh, just making that supply chain more robust and available so that when these issues do um, happen and are faced, then the supply chains are less impacted. Um, same with the US as well. Uh, there's now uh, 11 states in the US who have um, banned uh, cages, cages for egg-laying hens. And I think in a couple of states now, it's actually come into effect. Uh, I think California's came into effect last year and Washington's came into effect this year, which means... Uh, the sale of uh, cage-free eggs, um, <laughs> which means the sale of caged eggs in these states is now deemed a criminal activity, which just goes to show that consumers are demanding these changes. Yeah, so even there is disruption, you need to find solutions because you have customers that really want you to change if they're going to purchase products from you. You know, th- these issues are happening with caged eggs and non-caged eggs. So if a company does make the transition to cage-free eggs, then again, it's, it's almost protecting itself from any issues with uh, caged eggs as well. Because again, it's just an added um, issue with d- disease vectors and other things that can really be affected by having uh, the implications of caged eggs in their supply chain. So, so going from, in principle, what we have learned now is that it's really important to focus. It's uh, choosing well and work committedly on one area uh, and then move forward and then again, even though there is disruption in the supply chain, there is there's, there's the demand driven from the consumer, but also a willingness from companies to actually find these solutions because they know that this is good now, but also in the future for, for business. I want to I actually, before we come to the end of this conversation, I actually wanted to hear a bit about, because you both work in, in the area of uh, sustainability, doing good for the planet and business. What have been like, you know, and, and you can choose yourself who starts off in a way, but what has been like your, your main learnings as a human, but also like a business leader, leaders in organization, uh, the Humane League, I'm aware it's a non-for-profit, but still an organization. But what has been your main learning over the last couple of years? Because I feel we are in this crazy time. Like when we're going to look back in 20 years time, 
and look at this time you just think that was that was a pivotal moment in history that's my big belief but i don't know if you want to uh, kick off um julia hmm. how to survive in a sustainability management position um without losing your sanity no um i think you have to remain and i like in order to do this type of work you have to be an idealist to uh to a certain extent and the um, the degree of idealism with time gets i wouldn't say it gets diluted but you do become more pragmatic because you start realizing um the interfaces and the the like the that you are part of the ecosystem so your responsibilities are very much there um but but that you're not alone either within your organization or organization within the the bigger environment um is not doing things in silos um so being able to to pace yourself and focus on the things um which can generate most impact i think is something really that um i had to learn over the years um because us idealists we would like to fix things and do things right everywhere at the same time but that's just simply not realistic when it comes to um topics like the one that we're discussing um and i think we all know so on this call that uh, cage free is just you know the first step really because um i'm i would be actually very curious hana if you can say anything you know on that legislative change that is uh taking place um hopefully because i i'm not as close to it as you are um hopefully cage free does not mean that they're allowing you know more crowding or that they're completely disregarding what that would mean with what the chickens uh life is on the floor even though without the, the you know the cages no i i can i can completely get that um i also can empathize as well with uh the idealism that comes with what we do uh which is why you know the fact that i love working for the humane league we take a pragmatic and realistic approach you know we know a company is not going to go vegan overnight or anything although that would be the ideal uh so we work with companies to make the smallest changes to have the biggest impact for the most animals um and i don't know if you know um going back to the uh, implications of cages versus non cages and uh yulia saying about um you you the focus on the welfare of the chickens So chickens are essentially domesticated jungle fowl. Uh they actually originate from the jungles of Southeast Asia. So as such they have many many deeply ingrained uh instincts and behaviors that are absolutely critical to their well-being. Um and much like I don't know if you have a dog or cat at home, uh you know any other domestic animal that we may be more familiar with, they have natural instinct natural instincts that they absolutely need to carry out. and that's things like um perching, dust bathing to keep all the bugs and parasites off them, pecking, um pecking and foraging and that sort of thing, just, you know, finding a particular spot they might like or something. Uh so they absolutely deserve a need to carry out these very very basic things. Um again, something just as similar as stretching, walking, running, and these are fundamental things that a species needs to do. and this is absolutely denied to them when they're confined to a space no bigger than an iPad 
um, on you know wire wire flooring where they can barely perch or anything. Uh, so thinking of it from each individual animal's perspective, I mean. The, the impact that these uh, commitments are going to have are going to be absolutely monumental to not only an individual life, but billions of um, other lives. And again, the company, consumers, um, everything that the impact on this cannot be uh, comprehended, really. I really love that uh, I picked up from Yulia uh, as well. What you said is a bit like you need to accept that you need to focus on what you can control and where you can contribute, not what maybe is out of your control in that moment, actually, and then move ahead with that. And that actually leads you in the end properly to the uh, the ideal situation. Because I think also that's that in many areas of life right now, it's, it's almost accepting in a way, because you can only do what you can do with the resource you have have. But as long as you're doing that, you're 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 doing justice to the to the course you can say um what is it that uh it goes to both of you is again what is like you some of the things you're most excited about and we can maybe not just within uh in the cage uh egg you know it could also be you know other things in sustainability that really makes you excited right now and you can see the movement is, is going in the, the dial is going in the right direction i think we're the time is ripe, kind of. There are a lot of challenges out there. The world is uh, has so many issues today. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to the overall aware level awareness and um, ripeness of um, discussion on the various areas of sustainability, um, there is a lot of push. So there is a lot of possibility um, to act. Um, and for like on a personal level, um, having that external pressure makes it a lot easier um, to have the internal discussions um, with somebody who might not be, you know, fully there on an intrinsic basis, but realizes it is a business imperative. Um, and we have a lot of conversations with our customers who are actively, you know, developing um, agenda on 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 these topics as well, and they want um, to see what we're doing, and we you know, need them um, on um, many different topics because our area of influence ends somewhere and we can offer something, but they, if they select something else, then something else ends up on the menu in front of the uh, passenger. But being able to collaborate and say, hey, you know, we're trying to work on, you know, towards the same, you know, in the same direction. Um, I see a lot of momentum there and it's really positive. There's um, a lot of engagement and, and um, interest in, in developing projects together. So that motivates me a lot. Um, well, as Yulia said, the time is right. And uh, there's so much positive momentum. And it was really fantastic to see that just after Gate Group made their commitment, uh, LSG followed suit and made a very similar commitment to be 100% cage-free by 2025. So again, that's really, really great to see and just goes to show the momentum there. Um, unfortunately, there are global companies who are falling behind um, their competitors and aren't keeping up with the curve. Um, Jinjiang International, Shangri-La International, Fatel Hotel Group, they're all some of the top global companies by revenue uh, in the hospitality sector, yet they're refusing to address the cruelty in their supply chain by producing a cage commitment. So I'd really just uh, encourage um, companies who are thinking of making a cage commitment to go ahead and do so because 
it's not just a benefit to the animal, but it's consumer. It's a benefit to the consumer and uh, your company as well. And and as we said, the benefits do outweigh the small price it takes to um, make these changes as well. Um, there are a myriad of resources available, so we can support you with that. And we don't expect companies to complete this transition to go cage-free overnight. Um, it's just the very first step in acknowledging that cages are cruel, they're unnecessary, and no animal should be made to spend their entire lives needlessly suffering for an insignificant small profit margin. And um, of course, we'd be happy to work with any company who's interested in strengthening their CSR profile and producing a cage free commitment, very much like Geek Group. Julia, any like top advice for um, other businesses or business leaders to want to do transformation on this area? What would you like your top advice be? It could be they are on the journey, but maybe they want to get started. What would your top advice be to them? Just do it. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, Hannah, you, I think you gave your advice before, you know, join the movement. Absolutely. How could I say it better than Yulia's just did? <laughs> just do it. <laughs> and it's the most, it's one of the strongest, uh, you know, strap lines in the world for one of the strongest brands called Nike, we know, and everybody knows it. So just do it. Exactly. Thank you so much, both of you, for, for, for coming here on the show and sharing your, your insights, wisdom, and uh, where you are on the journey and what you're learning from it. Uh, where can, if people want to know more and maybe you want to get some insights, hear some of your experiences, maybe connect with you, what is the best way to do that? Uh, Hannah, where, where do we find out more about your work at the Humane League? Where's the best place to go? Uh, so people can connect with us at thehumaneleague.org or to find out more information about the Open Wing Alliance, uh, they can go to openwingalliance.org. And those wanting to make a difference without committing a great deal of time can join the Humane League's uh, Fast Action Network. And that's an online and accessible community of incredibly dedicated activists. And that's at thehumaneleague.org slash Fast Action Network. Great, thank you. And Julia, where is the best place to connect with you to to get some of your experience and maybe some insights into the work Gate Group do? Sure. So findable at uh, www.gategroup.com. But uh, to be fair, we're updating our website. And so there will be uh, significant content about what we're doing. Also, um, our first sustainability or ESG report will get published on our website. And we're revamping the entire ESG page. Great, great, great. Thank you so much, both of you. Uh, send you power and energy on the journey to make business as force for good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate or give a review or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others and the organization, find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their socials at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the podcast Collective. 
If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be maverick.